This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 369. This podcast is brought to you by UCAN, makers of UCAN Edge, which gives you a steady release of energy while running without spiking blood sugar levels. Try their new strawberry banana flavor. Go to UCAN.co forward slash MTA and use the code MTA for 20% off. This podcast is brought to you by MetPro. Speak with a metabolic expert to review your current habits, discuss your lifestyle needs, and receive actionable steps toward achieving your goals, whether it's to lose weight, fuel your races better, or change your body composition. Go to metpro.co forward slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. Welcome to the MTA Podcast, where we help you run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we speak with ultra runner Sally McRae, winner of this year's Badwater 135, the toughest foot race on earth. Sally shares thoughts on overcoming fear, as well as some practical tips on how to run defensively on the trails. And you can get access to all of our training plans, back podcast episodes, and more inside the Academy. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, so Angie, sounds like you got into Boston again. Seems like we were just there. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> you got into the 126th Boston Marathon, which takes place in 2022. Yeah, I'm really excited about that and hoping to start a solid training block um, at the first of the year. Hopefully you'll be feeling better by then, right? Yes, that is the plan. <laughs> Yeah, one reason why the podcast, this episode has been a little late in coming out is Angie's been under the weather. So anytime you mention that you're sick, people wonder if you have COVID. And this time, yes, I do have COVID, sadly. (laughs) Got it over Thanksgiving and have been sick for about 11 days now. This is in spite of being vaccinated. Yep, in spite of being vaccinated. So um, yeah, just trying to stay positive in spite of the loss of taste and smell and All the respiratory symptoms and fatigue and brain fog and, you know, all that good stuff. Well, we all know there's a a range of how people experience this and probably a lot of you listening have had it. What's like one takeaway from this experience for you? Well, one thing was I'm super glad for my level of health going into it because, you know, it's honestly knocked me on my butt. And if I didn't normally enjoy good health, I can see how it would have really... Mm been something that was very tough to come back from. And I think it's also kind of reinforced the importance of just rest. I wasn't able to run for a week and a half. Just I didn't have the energy and didn't feel like it would be good for my body. So sometimes you have to take a step back and just let it rest and let your immune system bounce back and hopefully stronger. Well, I'm glad you're on the mend and I hope soon uh, you'll be able to taste food again because this food is great. Food is great. Yeah. I just got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we want to give a, some quick shout outs to people in the community, particularly this time some coaching clients who had a great weekend last weekend. Yes, we'd love to give a huge shout out to MTA coaching client Lauren. She ran over a 20 minute PR at the San Antonio Rock and Roll Marathon, and she got a BQ with a time of three hours and 23 minutes. Also, congratulations to Olga. She ran her first marathon at the Valencia Marathon, and also Laurel, who BQ'd at the California International Marathon with a marathon time of three hours and 49 minutes. 
Yeah, and speaking of California International Marathon, congrats to Coach Kristen on our team. She ran a 10-minute PR and a BQ time of 319.21. And interestingly, before the race... In the starting corral, she saw Coach Steve Walden, who's also on our team. And I think they've only met each other one other time uh, at the New York City Marathon. Yeah, that's right. And so Steve is actually a pacer uh, at the New York City Marathon. He's a 330 pacer, and he's a really strong runner himself. So he paced Kristen during the first half. Glad they got to meet up. Small world. It is. We also got great news from MTA coach Antonio. He did the Space Coast Half Marathon, and he said, I wasn't sure how I would react three weeks after having PR'd at the Indianapolis Marathon. But when I passed the 10K mat, I thought it could be a special day, and it was indeed. I finished in 132.53, which is a lifetime PR at the age of 58, and got a bonus first place age group award. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, we didn't plan on just reading like coach uh, specific shout outs, just how they came in uh, this weekend. But it's great to have, you know, people that lead by example. And that's what we love about all these coaches. So congrats, guys and gals. Um, Thank you for keeping it real and throwing the hammer down on race day. (laughs) Well, it sounds like they really put in the hard work on their training and then just executed their race strategy perfectly. Sometimes a plan can come together beautifully. Of course, a lot of unexpected things can happen, too. Yes, that is the marathon for you. (laughs) The marathon can throw anything at you. And I guess that's why it's important to have a good mindset going in. And I think this conversation with Sally McRae will definitely furnish you with a stronger mindset. Uh, We had a wonderful time speaking with her. She's got such a moving life story, as you're going to hear. What else can we tell people about Sally McRae? Well, she's a professional ultra mountain runner, and she really champions the importance of strength training and mental training as essential tools for every runner. She, of course, won Badwater in 2021, which is a huge accomplishment. Sally runs professionally for Nike and trains a lot in her local mountains in Southern California, which you'll hear about. She also is a mother to two active kids, and she enjoys writing and talking about her experiences. And I think that will come through in the episode today. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Now that I'm well on my way, well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Okay, we're on the podcast now with Sally McRae, joining us from California. Sally, how are you today? I'm great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. We're really excited um, to have you. I've been following you on Instagram for a long time and just find you be so inspiring, not only in your running accomplishments, but just also the mindset that you have and the encouragement that you share with people. Um, so I'd like to start off and just tell us how you got started with running, because I know that wasn't kind of the first thing that you went to. Yeah, um, I grew up playing sports. Uh, soccer was something that I spent probably the majority of my time and, and attention doing, but running was always a part of my life. I did my first race when I was seven and and always did a lot of, of small local races. Um, in middle school, I tried out cross country. And then in high school, I was a sprinter. But really, running was just a way to keep me in shape for soccer. So uh, as far as endurance running goes, like trying my first marathon, I didn't do that until after college. Now, I understand that you suffered some loss at a young age and really faced some big challenges. So if you're comfortable, would you share with us what you went through and how it helped you become the person that you are today? Yeah. um, I lost my mom when I was 17 uh, to cancer. Wow. And really that just changed the trajectory of of my life because at that time I was hoping to become, you know, the first one in our family to go to college to play soccer. And 
uh, well, really the first one in our family to go to college. And I was using soccer as, as a way to, to help make that happen. And then I had a dream of, of being a professional soccer player. So because of um, her illness, um, I was also working two jobs at the time. And, you know, my life was really busy. I, I grew up pretty young during that time. And so I, I think after I lost her, I just really had a period in my life where I was considering the meaning of life just as a whole and what was mm. important to me. And I think at that time too, I realized how much of my dreams of pursuing soccer and even going to college, like were really wrapped up in her because she was such a massive encouragement in my life. And and now I was just really sad and and working a lot. And that trial and that challenge in my life, it really forced me to look at sport in an, in a different way and to ask myself if I wanted to keep on doing it. So there, there was a lot of, I was on a club team too. So there was a lot of colleges at the time that would come to our games and I was getting letters from schools all over the country, uh, but I didn't respond to any of them. And I just decided to, you know, I, I actually wasn't even going to graduate from, from high school. I decided to get my GED and just to work and to take care of my siblings. Um, and then a family friend came alongside me and was like, your mom would be so sad if, if she knew that you would, you were going to do that, you know, she'd right. love for you to keep pursuing those dreams. And so at that time I was like, well, all scholarships have been given away. Like this was uh, a year had passed and it was the end of my senior year. And so she pretty much just took this friend of mine, took me by the hand to different colleges, just right here in my community. And I settled at a school called Biola University where the girls on that team gave up some of their scholarship money in order for me to be there. And at that time, I was just like, wow, you know, these girls work so hard and they're giving so much of, of something they work for just so that I could come and play for the team. And um, that really meant a lot to me and, and really just changed my way of looking at sport. And while at that school, during the summers, I would go on these humanitarian aid type trips, travel around to orphanages and prisons. And, you know, in some countries I, I worked to help build houses and things like that. And what was really awesome is that soccer is, is a great way to connect with people and communities. It's one of the most popular sports in the world, if not the most popular sport in the world. And I realized that I could break language barriers and get to know people out on the pitch. And I really fell in love with soccer in a different way. It was no longer than about me pursuing this career as a soccer player or wanting to be in the limelight. It was, it was, wow, I can really, you know, reach people. And, uh, and I really loved that. I loved how something that had been such a big part of who I was and what I thought was a part of my identity and was uh, what I was most passionate about was really just a tool to something that was greater, which is actually being able to communicate with people. And I think at that time too, I, you know, I was still doing, dealing with the loss of my mom. Um, my two older siblings moved out very quickly after my mom passed away. They didn't really want to be at home anymore. They didn't want to be around my dad. And so I was taking care of my siblings. My dad had been sent to jail for child abuse. And so um, my sisters were taken away and put in foster care and moved around to different group homes for about nine months. And you know, that was really difficult for me. I didn't have a lot of access to them. And, and so I think at that time, it was just so much all at once and, um, and dealing with 
just that pain of having a family that had completely fallen apart. We were a family of seven and, um, you know, I felt really alone. And, and then being in, in college, I didn't really know a lot of people that were like me, you know, people didn't know my story. I didn't, I didn't share anything about myself when, uh, especially that first year in college, just because I didn't want to be seen as some textbook broken kid. And I didn't want people to walk on eggshells around me. And so I was really protective of my story and who I was. And, but I was also working two jobs in school and I was taking 18 units as the captain of the soccer team. And so when I go on these trips in the summer, in many ways, it was like my time just to, to be me and, um, to reflect and to really work on, a lot of the hurt and the, and the pain that was in my life. And one of the things that I knew to be true was that, you know, my mom had spent a lot of her life caring for other people. And that was a really important thing to her. And, you know, when we were little kids, she'd take us around to convalescent homes and we would go trick or treating there. We, we, during uh, Halloween and Christmas, we'd sing Christmas carols and she was always babysitting to make extra money for the family or made sure that when she was raising us to tell us to always be kind to people, cause you never know what their life is like. Yes. And I think in a way it was really speaking about, you know, her and our life too, because people didn't know what our home life, home life was like. It was mm-hmm. kind of a secret. And so I think that, you know, by the time I, I finished college, I just, my whole world had been turned upside down, but I'd also gained this massively new view of the world. You know, I thought, you know, my life was hard and I had been through a lot. I'd grown up pretty fast. But I had also traveled the world and, and seen that I had so much more uh, yeah. than than people in the world. You know, living in an orphanage in Ukraine for the summer, I learned like, wow, these are these kids have nobody. There's nobody that cares about them. They don't even know when their birthdays are. And mm. um, you know, I had an opportunity to have an incredible mom for 17 years. And so really it just changed my perspective. And it w- went from, you know, me wanting to be a professional athlete to like wow, I can use soccer to impact a community and to, to reach people. So that just kind of carried on over in, into my running when I, when I started trail running. Wow. That is powerful. Didn't know all those details and I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned you started to look at soccer as a means to accomplish a greater good. Mm-hmm. Did you start to look at running that way at some point too? Yeah, you know, running for me. So after I, I finished traveling around, so I even traveled the year after I graduated from college. And then after that summer, I came home and my my now husband put a ring on my finger and said, please stay home. <laughs> 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 and so he and I became teachers. We actually um, were teachers at the same high school together. I was a freshman English teacher and he was getting his master's degree. So he was in a full-time sub on on the campus with me. And so we would we were married that first year and we um, it was a big change for me. I was the high school soccer coach. And so I was living a completely different life than, than what I thought thought I, I would be doing, but I was enjoying it. But still having trained my entire life, I was really motivated by having goals for myself. And, you know, being a busy high school teacher, I found that running was like the best way to train. And he and I had gone to China uh, for a summer and we, we taught English. And during the morning, we didn't realize until we got there that we were going to be teaching like 14 hours a day, six days a week. Oh, oh my goodness. And so yeah, it was insane. Like I'd never done anything like that. So I would get up early in the morning and I would just run. It was, I love to travel. I'm a very curious person. And so my rule always is that whenever I traveled, I, I wanted, I love to explore. 
And not being a mom yet, I was also like super carefree. So I, wherever I traveled, I just go off and wander by myself all the time. And I had a really good, a very good sense of direction. I have a pretty good memory and maybe a tiny bit photographic memory. And so it's very easy for me to navigate places. I can go wander around for a couple hours and always find my way back. And this is before we had, you know, Google maps on our phones. And so, so that's what I did. I just kind of wandered around the city streets of Tianjin, China. And that's really where I started endurance running uh, was in China. And I came home and I told my husband, I was like, I'm going to train for a marathon. And at that time I was still very well known as a soccer player. And so all my friends and family were like, really? You're going to train for a marathon? Um, And so I trained for the LA marathon and you know, that was kind of the start of endurance running for me. And I wasn't like trying to win or anything like that. I wasn't that great at it. I really didn't know what I was doing. But as I started to pursue more ultra running, which was just a few years later, and after I had kids, that's when I I really had to make the choice of, okay, if if I'm going to spend all this time doing it, it needs to be for a, a good purpose. And so even when I made my handle on Instagram, that was really like a tribute to my mom. Like Yellow Runner was this idea. It was based on these yellow gifts that she had given me a month before she died. And she had said, don't be bitter when I'm gone. Like keep Mm. living a life that shines, like keep being who you are and do all the things that are in your heart. So really that idea of just the color yellow is just, I, I believe every person is a light and once you're gone, like the world loses that light and it's, we don't ever get to have it again. And I think if we see ourselves that way, then we understand that we don't have to compare or try to be like other people or try to compete against people. It's like we have this one unique light. And so that was really what I wanted my running to be. I wanted it to be more of a, um, a way to connect with the world around me, but also to still fulfill a dream that i had had of being a professional athlete. So when I started ultra running and trail running, I knew that I was actually way better at that than than road running. But I actually really loved it. You know, I didn't love road marathoning the same way that I did being in the mountains and being in the dirt and um, exploring for hours and hours. Like that actually really grabbed a hold of my heart. But my kids were one and three at the time. And so I was like, all right, like there needs to be like a purpose and a pathway and a very specific way that I'm going to do this. And so my running became very different than what soccer had been been to me. One of your mantras that you talk about a lot on Instagram is keep your heart up. And so I'm really curious for you to explain what that means. Yeah, I think there's a lot of mantras out there. There's a lot of cliche I, I'll say you got this a lot too, or the best is yet to come. I mean, these are all things that, that we've heard for years. There's keep your eyes up, keep your chin up, you know. Um, but for me, like I felt like so much of my life starting in my youth was really my only reason for continuing on in life or getting through some very challenging or painful seasons was hope. So really that's what that is. It's, it's really keep hope in your heart because I really believe if you don't have hope, there's, it's really hard to find any reason for living. And, and I really believe in the hope that is actionable, not like one day I hope to do this or like this was my dream last night. But it's like hope with expectation is very, very powerful. Um, keeping hope in your heart that even though today totally stinks, like it's just today. I can't change what happened yesterday. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And there's actually hope in that idea. There's a reason why we're not born with a life manual that tells us 
how our life is going to play out. We're not supposed to know how our life is going to play out or what is going to happen or the reason why you can't see the finish line, even at a 5k, um, you have to go in and find that finish line. And, and at the same time, I believe that life is, is very much like a race in that way. You know, there, you're going to hit lows. Um, you're going to hit high points, but getting to the finish line means carrying hope in your heart. And so that idea of keep your heart up is pointing your heart at the finish line, realizing that that is what is going to get you there. It isn't always strength. Um, it isn't always feeling like you're the toughest one out there or trying to be gritty or, you know, toughing things out because a lot of times we move through life with a limp. We move through life with ache and pain on our shoulders and with discouragement. And so knowing that you can still keep hope in your heart, even on your worst day, all you have to do is just keep taking steps forward. And I don't think that taking a step forward means that you're the strongest person in the room. It's just that you're hopeful that it's going to get better, that where you are um, isn't going to last forever. And so I always like to encourage people with that. I think it's something that we have to be reminded of daily because we so quickly forget. I mean, we could have a hundred great days in a row and then wake up and have the most terrible day of our life and lose a lot of hope because of that. Yeah. So it's realizing that all that makes up our life, our path, uh, the storms and the valleys and the highs and the sunshine, they're supposed to be there for a reason and to carry hope in your heart and to keep your heart up, whether it's a good or, or a bad day. That's really powerful. I think people are going to really latch on to that for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. We'd like to take a quick break and thank our episode sponsor, You Can. They have snack bars, energy powder you can mix in water, and also these gels called You Can Edge that are portable, very convenient for throwing in your pockets, throwing in your bag. We've used You Can now at dozens and dozens of races, and uh, their new You Can Edge flavor is strawberry banana, which is quite good. If you haven't tried them, go to youcan.co forward slash MTA. You can actually get 20% off your order. Angie, you're signed up for the Boston Marathon next year. I'm sure going to be using You Can at Boston and a lot of training runs in between. Yeah, that's right. We've been using You Can since 2013. So just so thankful for the consistent energy and easy digestibility that all their fuels provide. Yeah, check out that strawberry banana flavor of You Can Edge. That's youcan.co forward slash MTA and use the code MTA for 20% off. And we'd like to thank MetPro for sponsoring this episode. They've been a great partner of ours. You can talk to one of their experts, uh, get a free phone call, and they'll talk to you about what your goals are, whether it's to lose weight or to add muscle or just to eat better so as to fuel your body better for your training and for race day. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what I would have done literally without working with a MetPro coach. It totally revolutionized my nutrition and also my mindset about fueling my body. And I can definitely look back and see how my marathon and half marathon PRs came about as a direct result of dialing in my nutrition and having the support of a MetPro coach. Yeah, matter of fact, you qualified for Boston twice thanks to those dietary changes and that progress you made working with your MetPro coach. So head over to metpro.co forward slash MTA. You can talk to one of their coaches, see if it's a good fit for you. If you decide to work with them, you can get $500 off their concierge coaching if you tell them we sent you. metpro.co forward slash MTA. 
Another thing you talk about is overcoming fear. And I know it's something every single human being has to face. Yeah. Um, but I think sometimes we think maybe professional runners are like immune to, you know, to some of the fears <laughs> that us ordinary runners face. Um, maybe you can give us an example of when you've had to deal specifically with the fear when it comes to running and how you overcame it. Yeah, I, th- I think fear is, as humans, we have feelings for a reason. I grew up in a home where I felt like the only way to get through certain situations in my household was to be numb to them. And so I felt like uh, for many years, even, even when my mom was really sick, the best way for me to overcome a situation was just to be completely numb. Mm. And I grew up pretty tough in that way. I was a really tough kid. I was known for being strong uh, physically, mentally, like across the board. There weren't a lot of things that made me cry. Um, and if I did cry, it was like in the closet alone, you know, next to the mm. laundry pile. Yep. And so I think that the older I got and as I became an adult, and of course, especially when I became a mother, I realized that, that might not always be the healthiest way to, <laughs> to approach life. But I think we do ourselves a disservice when we try to ignore certain feelings that are actually part of being a human being. And they're there for a reason. And fear is one of them. So fear can actually be a great tool and keeping us safe. And so this idea of, of staying fearless, this idea, idea of never being afraid, well, it, I think there's a fine line because fear is just also a synonym for respect. But then there is the fear that paralyzes, right. the fear that keeps you from moving, the fear that keeps you from believing, from doing the things that you love, and sometimes a little bit of pride and fear can get wrapped up together. And so we then use fear. We say, oh, we're afraid of doing something when really, no, you're just afraid of how you're going to look when you fail. <laughs> because as a human being, you will fail. Yes. And so if you can not be afraid of failing, and if you cannot be um, so cautious of the fact that, you know what, it, you're not going to know what to do all the time or how to proceed. And I think with running too, you know, we stand at the start line and many times the biggest reason why we're so fearful is because we've set ourselves up for this expectation. Today I'm in a PB at this half marathon. Today is the day that I'm going to do this or gosh, my training wasn't that great and I'm really afraid of how this is going to feel, <laughs> you know, when I cross that finish line. So what I always like to do both in my training when I start a new training block is think about all the things that I'm fearful of, and then I go and I practice them. Um, And one of them, when I first started ultra and trail running, one of them was actually running in the dark. I used to have an actual very true fear of the dark. And part of it was just trauma from growing up. So even uh, as an adult, you know, married with kids, like I would sometimes lay in bed for like 25 minutes before even getting up to go to the bathroom because I was so afraid of the dark and it was to the extreme. So in some ways that people uh, are afraid of heights, I've, I've never been afraid of heights, but I've been with people who are like insanely tough and gritty and strong. And I've watched them break down in tears on the side of a mountain because they're so afraid of the heights. Yes. Um, and I, I totally get that. Like I empathize with that because that's how I used to be with um, the dark. So I knew that, well, gosh, if I ever want to run 100 miles or if I ever <laughs> want to get over this mountain pass, I'm going to have to learn to run in the dark. And so I went running with my buddy Colin Cooley one day. Um, we were both training for Angela's Crest 100 mile. And he's like, let's go run in the Santa Monica mountains and um, we'll go night running together. And so I was super nervous. 
Um, and if anyone's familiar with Santa Monica, there actually are legit la- mountain lions there. They go Ooh. down into the city, like people find <laughs> them in their backyards. You know, not a lot of people know that about Southern California. We have bears and lions and coyotes and all, all of that stuff. But coyotes and bears never scared me because we have uh, black bears here, which are, they just are totally afraid of you and they're shy. <laughs> but mountain lions, like we've had people in our community uh, that have been attacked before. And, you know, so I was genuinely afraid. And at one point, Colin got up to the the top of the mountain way faster than I did. And I just started crying because mm-hmm. um, I couldn't see him. And that's all I thought about was, oh my gosh, a mountain lion is going to, he's, this mountain lion has been waiting for this moment of, for when <laughs> Colin left me. And this is his moment now. And he's going to jump out of a tree at any minute and lock around my neck. And I mean, it was such a real fear. Mm. And we ran like a marathon that night. It was through the night. I don't think we finished like two in the morning and we were fine. And so really overcoming fear wasn't that I suddenly wasn't afraid of the dark anymore. It's just that I decided to proceed in that fear. Right. I decided to accept the fact that, yeah, this is, this is Sally and all her humanness. She is afraid of the dark. And I'll, I probably always will have some little bit of degree of hesitation in the dark. And those steps that I take as I go on a trail or even running at night on, on the streets, it's just me proceeding in that being aware of that and doing the best I can in it. That's what's kept me safe over the years. You know, I've been running at night for well over a decade. And, you know, I, I would be lying if I said I haven't ever encountered anything that scared me. I mean, I have. And one of the greatest ways of overcoming that fear was just gaining knowledge. And so um, I am a student of the sport and I'm a student of all the things that surround everything that I do. So, you know, one of my first times that I actually ran on a trail, I actually spent months and months studying about the trails around my neighborhood before I ever even stepped foot on it. Because right. I want to know how many people have been attacked on these trails in the last 20 years. I, I knew every statistic about <laughs> crimes on those local trails. Then I studied what kind of animals were on that trails. Um, what were their behavioral patterns? Where did they congregate? Had, had there ever been an animal that had attacked a person in that area? I studied weather systems. I studied all the entry points, uh, the different trails around there. I was just obsessed with gaining knowledge because knowledge became my weapon. It was my tool. It was my uh, shield. And I really used that to gain strength and confidence on my local trails. And really, that's how I was able to become a little bit more confident and really courageous to venture out into more mountains and trails around me and eventually all over the world. I mean, I've, I've had the chance to run on trails on every single continent. Um, I'm a lot more fearless than I, than I used to be. I was laughing with a friend actually the other day we were in Costa Rica and, um, we were filming for a project, but in between I was trying to train for, I was actually for Badwater. So I would just go out and like run up into the Hills. And I remember this one time, one of the guys on our crew was also an ultra runner and he's like, where'd you run? (laughs) Where did you go just now? And I was like, oh, I just like ran back and he was like, dude, there's a bunch of like wild dogs back there. You didn't see him. And I was like, no, but I guess maybe that's like a good thing. Like I've gotten so used to, I always tell people, if you're going to go run somewhere new, you run like a predator, don't run like prey. And so you're Mm -hmm. always looking Mm -hmm. and listening and watching and you bring things with you that can protect yourself. And you know, the entry points, you know, not to run in certain areas that look like A, B, and C. And, but yeah, I think that Fear will always be a part of who I am as a human because it's a natural human feeling. 
but I use it as a tool to keep myself both safe, but also a predictor of where I am just in life. And if ever fear is used to paralyze me, then I'm going to go tackle that with all my heart and learn how to, to prevail over that. Yeah. So when folks are out running in the woods, just, just tell yourself, <laughs> I'm the scariest thing in this forest. Yes. Yeah. And, and get to know where you are. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I talk to people, I'll, I'll speak more to, to the United States right here. I've, I've run in most of the states in the United States. Not all trails are the same. I mean, there are some trails where I've gone out half a mile and I've been terrified. I'm like, this is this is starting not to look like a good, safe place to run. <laughs> like I do not feel good here. And so I've, I've turned around on a trail many times and then gone back to kind of the drawing board and be like, okay, what's a safer place in this area to run? And maybe I need to read a little bit more about where I am. And, you know, sometimes my basic instincts do help. You know, I've talked to people and been like, uh, that was good that you turned around. You should not be running back there. Um, and then people deal with different animals. I mean, I'm not going to go run on a trail where there's grizzly bears everywhere. Like grizzly <laughs> bears are way more aggressive and protective and territorial. And I mean, that's a whole different ball game than running with the black bears that I see all the time in my mountains that as soon as they hear me go running away. And so, and then learning how to act, you know, around those animals. But yeah, I think that we can always stay students out on the trails and, and to be wise, but when it comes to it, um, and this goes for people, I'm actually more afraid of people than I am of, of animals. Cause I've had yeah. way more people encounters than I have had animal encounters and I always tell, especially women, you need to carry yourself like you are just freaking strong. And one of the rules that I always have, if I'm out on a trail or even on the street and it just doesn't feel great, the person that I'm encountering or if I don't know where I am, you always should stand tall and always address people with a loud, firm voice. And I've, I've done this since I first started on the trails, but you know, I'm very intentional um, if, especially if somebody looks maybe a little off. I mean, I remember this one time coming on a trail and this man jumped out 10 feet in front of me from a bush and I wasn't sure he was in jeans. And I was like, wow, you're like two miles up from the trailhead. Like what the heck is this guy doing? And it was at sunrise. So I kept on running and I actually started running straight at him. Cause that was like my only thing. I was like, I'm not going to act like I'm afraid. I'm going to actually make this guy think that I'm the crazy one. Cause I didn't know, like, I, I didn't know what wow. he was doing. Like, and it was, you know, you usually see runners or mountain bikers out there, but to see someone jump out of a bush at 6am, uh, in jeans. So I just greeted him very loudly. Good morning. How are you doing? Um, and looked him straight in the eye and I scowled at him. I mean, <laughs> smile, but he just kind of, his face kind of like startled a little bit. And then he, he continued down the trail. And so, you know, I just learned like there are times to be friendly and to be nice to people on the trail. And then there's times where you're, you're just going to act like a predator and you're strong on the trail because sometimes that'll save your life uh, or save you from a situation that, that wouldn't be good. So the more that I'm out there, you learn to, how to operate and always be aware of, of what you're doing. Good advice. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> Angie already knows this because she's been practicing on me. What? <laughs> uh, menacing looks you mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> looks that would kill <laughs> I well i think it. there's this misnomer you know a lot of women 
are kind of programmed to be friendly and to smile at people. And it's not always a safe thing to do. So I Mm -hmm. think sometimes you have to kind of, you know, pull out your resting bitch face and (laughs) yeah, no, it is, it is the truth. And I, I remember one time it was like 10 AM. I was in, I was running on my trails and the trails that I run and also have like these deep canyons. You, so you can drop down like a mile and a half into the canyon. And my rule always is if I'm in the canyon, you're not my friend. Like, Mm -hmm. unless like it's a trail runner that I know. And our trail running community is extremely friendly, but if, I get into a situation or I see, or in sometimes you just know, you just have that intuition where you're like, yeah, this isn't good. I'm not going to make small talk with somebody when I'm down in the canyon. And a lot of the canyon trails, they're all tree lined. So the trees are high, the bushes are, are dense. And so for me, I'm usually running really fast through those areas. I'm very intentional about where I'm going. If I pass groups of people or whatever, if I'm, if they're coming straight at me, you know, I'll smile and say hi. And I move very quickly. But this one time, this mountain biker started descending right behind me and I yelled back to him. I was like, you can pass. He's like, no, it's all right. And it's like downhill, we're moving fast. And I was actually doing a tempo workout that day. So I was moving, I was like at a five minute pace because I was going downhill. I was moving really quick. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, why is this guy passing me? It's kind of annoying. Like, and he was right on my tail, like maybe a foot behind me. And so then we, we keep going. And I was like, no, bro, like for real, you can pass me. And he's like, no, I'm good. You're fine. And I was like, and then I just stop. I turn around. I face, I go, this is not fine. You following me down here like this. It's not okay. I know you could be going two and three times faster than I am. I don't like what you're doing. And he, he was so angry. His response was just, and you, he said it had some choice words, but that made me believe, well, you thought this was entertainment. Mm-hmm. So then I yelled back at him and this is, that was probably like one of the worst encounters I've ever had in all my yes. years trail running. But for me, I knew in that moment, I don't know what this guy's doing. Yep. I'm descending deeper and deeper into this canyon. And this particular trail was, it's a single track trail that's tightly covered with trees. And I moved off to the side twice. And I said, please pass, please pass. And this guy isn't passing. And, you know, I'm a mom and there are just times where I know it's like, Hey, I'm not out here to make friends with you. I don't care if you don't like me. I don't care the choice words that you have, but you need to get the heck out of here because you're making me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you actually were a well-mannered guy that actually cared about me and how I'm feeling, you would have just passed and not said anything. That's trail etiquette right there. I mean, runners and mountain bikers, we all have to respect each other when we're out there on the trail. But I think for women, especially women listening to me, when you're out there running by yourself, you don't be afraid to use your voice. Don't be afraid to stand up and turn and look somebody in the eye and say, I'm not, I don't stand for this. Right. Because as outdoor enthusiasts, people that love the outdoors, we also have to respect each other. Like you are going to encounter people that just don't feel safe out on the trails and other people that are totally safe on the trails. But we have to respect each other's feelings and how we move, you know, throughout nature. And if a woman is not comfortable with a man falling so close behind her, we, we got to respect that. So Sally, I have a question. Um, this happens to us all the time on the Appalachian Trail, which is close to our house, is a lot of people are out there hiking and then you yes. run up on them and you s- just scare them like yes. out of their out of their skin. <laughs> and uh, I have inadvertently like spooked so many people not wanting to. Yeah. But uh, you run so fast out there that you're probably scaring a lot of people. So <laughs> not anymore. I'm glad you actually brought that up because I have a rule about that. You know, I know there's a lot of people listening that really care about Strava. 
and their mm-hmm. Strava records and things like that. But I don't think your Strava record is more important than someone that's out there trying to enjoy the trail. And if that means that you have to slow down for 10 seconds, then suck it up and slow down for 10 seconds because we are out there to enjoy together. My kids have been on the trails with me since they're little. And this is something I wish more people would teach their kids this and this would be the conversation. But we do need to understand that you're coming across people that are, they love the outdoors and the peace and quiet and beauty that comes with it. And when we come down a trail like a freight train, you know, and scare someone off of the trail or frighten that, what that is, it doesn't really make for a happy interaction or even really like an influence that trail runners have on the, on the community. <laughs> and so my rule has always been, especially if they're elderly people, if you can tell that they're elderly, I slow down to a complete walk. And if I'm slowing down just to a jog, by the time I'm about 20 feet away from the people, I always send out some type of greeting. Hey guys, how's it going? Awesome day on the trail. And then they'll, a lot of times they're still startled. Oh, I didn't hear you. (laughs) If they startle and turn around, I stop running and I just Mm -hmm. come to a walk and like, Oh, Hey, you just, sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. How are you guys doing? And I, I make it seem like, yeah, I'm out here enjoying it too. And I'll share a few words. And, um, I've learned that's just kind of the best way to be out there. So otherwise you'll be doing CPR next. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I have scared some people in my day where I've, I've, you know, I used to go just flying past people all the time. Well, do you notice that people wear their headphones too? And so even yes. if you are saying things, like sometimes they can't hear you. Yes. So then you are up right up on them and they jump a mile and you're like, I have yeah. been trying to get your attention for you know, a good while now. Yes. That part's hard too. Cause you almost want to be like, Hey, maybe wear one earbud or don't wear anything, you know? <laughs> I also err on the side of like, it's not my job to tell people what to do out here. So everyone's going to enjoy the trail in their own way. I mean, I, I know for me, a little pet peeve of mine is like when people go out with like a really loud boom box, like, oh, yeah. and they're <laughs> blasting, their, like blasting their music and, and Orange County trails, like it's awesome in our mountains. You can get on them year round. We have a lot of very touristy trails too, especially like in the Griffith Park, Hollywood Hills type area. You know, the first one or two miles of any trails, like that's really all that a lot of people are doing. They'll go out for a mile, turn around and go back. And so I've learned over the years, like it's great they're getting out here. If they need to bring a loud Bluetooth speaker and play Green Day um, at max volume, like whatever, I'm just going to keep heading up the trail. And I've just learned like, I'm not going to let that ruin my day because the reality is the further you go on a trail, like the less people you see and the more hardcore the people get. So it's just like, use the first couple of miles as your warm up. The last couple of miles as your cool down as you get back to that trailhead and just be nice to the other people along the way. And maybe they'll see your example and understand like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be bringing our trash and loud music out here. I mean, I've picked up McDonald's wrappers in in the first two miles. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that gets brought out the first two miles of like any trail, but it, it is what it is. I, I think the best thing we can do is just be an example instead of, instead of bite people's heads off, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, this has been great. I had no idea we were going to talk about trail etiquette. This is really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got, 
so many other things we want to talk to you about. We'll have to have you back on the podcast sometime. Yeah. Yes, after your book comes out. I'm looking forward oh, to yeah. when you get done with that. So Yes, me too. And I'll let you guys know because I, I know I'll just appreciate anywhere that I'll be able to talk about it. So oh, thank 100%. You. You're invited back. I, I've got to admit, I didn't know you were coming out with a book. And while you were sharing your story, I thought, this lady should write a book. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. So real that. quick, any upcoming race plans that you have? You know, I was hoping to get into Hard Rock. This is my sixth, seventh year putting in the lottery. I didn't get in, not mm. on the wait list either. So, you know, that will have to be put for, for another year. That was going to kind of determine actually my 2022. So I will be putting in for Badwater again. There's a few international races that I have on my radar. So I haven't committed to any of them yet, but we'll see. So far, uh, Badwater is, is the focus if I get in. Yes. Oh, nice. super exciting. We were really excited for you when you won this last summer. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. So if people want to find out more about you, where can we send them? Right now, I think that the best place is on my Instagram, Yellow Runner. The little link that's in my bio has like my website and everything. So um, yeah, you can check me out there. Awesome. Well, I can attest that it's well worth people's time to follow you on Instagram. Thank you. And thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah. Thank you, you guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sally McRae. Big thanks to Sally for speaking with us. We look forward to her book coming out. Yes. Very excited about that. She's one of those guests where I felt like we could just go on talking for hours. Yeah. And unfortunately, we had a hard stop limit. So we had to wrap up the conversation. But she's just an amazingly genuine and hugely accomplished person. And it was so great to talk to her. Yeah. After talking to her, made me want to go out and run on the trails. And also made me wish that we lived in a place where we had year-round Good weather, <laughs> like she does. A little bit jealous of uh, you Southern California mountain runners. Well, there is no bad weather. There's just, what is the saying? No such thing as bad weather, just inadequate gear, I think they say. <laughs> yeah, I think winter running can be enjoyable in its own way. Yeah, it's just kind of wrapping your head around the fact that it's going to be cold and probably some inclement conditions being prepared for different scenarios. But yeah, it can be refreshing in its own way. <laughs> that is it for this episode. Thanks for being a listener. And uh, tell a friend if you think this episode was uh, helpful. Share the link. And of course, our website is marathontrainingacademy.com. We have a contact form over there if you have a question. Love to hear from you. Until next time, keep rocking in the free world. Remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my